We are going to spend time going through Matthew chapter 19, the story of the rich young ruler that Pastor Scott just read. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 19. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. For those of us that are alive today, we look back, for those of us who are believers, we look back at the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, because that is what is what allows us to be saved for all eternity. And we spent all this time in the book of Revelation, over a year, looking forward to when Jesus will come back. Right? We spent about a year, over a year actually, on the things that are to come. And if you really take a sobering look at what the scriptures have to say, it is going to be scary. You know, in recent times, we've, we've been uh, amazed just to see the, the events of uh, God's creation, right? With the Japan tsunami and the earthquakes and it, if you really think about what is coming, according to the scriptures, that's like the tip of the iceberg. There is much more that's going to come. And for those of us who believe, we have hope because our eternal destiny is secure. But for those who are lost, this, this world is going to get increasingly scary. And then you look at the wages of man's wickedness, right? The wars that are going on right now in Libya, the atrocities that are happening. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable that a, a leader of a country could, could, uh, kill people, his own people. But we know that that is the nature of man and it's gonna continue to be that way. So the question is, as I was struggling with, uh, what to preach, this morning, and by the way, thank you to many of you out there who have been praying for me. I've really appreciated that. It's tough to follow uh, a year's worth of teaching on the book of Revelation. But I really want to land at a familiar place where we are today. Where are you today? This April 10th, 2011. Where are you? And the thing that came to my mind is that all of us have decisions to make, right? That's one thing. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have to contend with decisions, right? Decisions are fundamental to life. They are what separate us from animals. Although I'm sure some of you pet lovers think your animals think. They can be trained, and it does seem like they have a mind of their own, some of them, especially the cats. But (laughs) nevertheless, humans are the ones that were created to think. And why is that? Because we were created in the image of God. Some decisions are simple, and some decisions are complex. And sometimes when we have too many simple decisions, it becomes complex. Right? That's the nature of life. I was just reflecting back on some silly things in my life where decisions were stressful. I remember early in my marriage, uh, we lived five minutes away from a grocery store and uh, my wife Lily sent me on a mission to get five or six things. And it, about an hour later, I came back home with a few things. And she said, what happened to you? And what happened to me was I, you know, there were two items that just threw me for a loop. One item was uh, cooking oil. So I went to the cooking, cooking oil section and I'd never bought cooking oil before. And I, I was just dismayed. There's peanut oil, there's olive oil, there's canola oil, there's vegetable oil, there's and all these different brands, Crisco. I, I think I read every label that was out there. <laughs> I was waiting for something to hit me, like, I should get this one. 
And after like studying this thing for hours, I, it felt like hours, I just studied every kind of oil that there was, I finally picked one. Of course, it was the wrong one. <laughs> then I got to the tuna section. I got to the tuna section. There's oil. There's fresh water. Then there's dolphin safe. And then, you know, there are different sizes. And then there's different prices and different brands. So I'm just... I wasn't going to go through the same thing that I did with the oil, so I just kind of stood by and I waited for someone to come by. <laughs> so this lady picked, I don't know what it was, the Arcus or Starfish, whatever. So I grabbed that one. <laughs> and that actually turned out to be right. But decisions can be complicated. You know, foreigners, uh, I have an opportunity in my job to take a lot of foreign people out to lunch or dinner. He said, going to dinner or going to a restaurant in America is extremely stressful. Because the waitress just bombards you with questions. Do you want salad? What kind of dressing do you want with the, you know, do you want potato? Do you want french fries? Do you want baked potato? It's just... Can I just eat? You know? It is, you think about how many decisions we're asked to make. I mean, think about this morning. What are you going to wear? Some of you, maybe, how many of you, you don't have to confess? How many of you stared at your closet this morning? What am I going to wear today? Um, you know, there's endless number of decisions you have to make. Uh, there are a lot of decisions that we have no control over, right? We don't get to choose what family that we're born into. We don't get to choose uh, our gender, right? We don't get to choose things that happen to us. We can choose our response to those things, but there's so much of life that we don't get to choose. And sometimes we get confused between that which we have choices for and that which we don't. But we are free to choose. Unfortunately, we are not free to choose the consequences of those decisions. And that's where decision-making can be difficult, right? Sometimes we're really good at decisions that have no consequence, but sometimes we really struggle with a decision that looks like it could have a big consequence. And we know that... Some people are better at making decisions than we are, right? In the end, that's all we can do. Some people make better decisions and some people make worse decisions. If you look at the book of Proverbs, it talks about four types of people. The first type of person is the wise person. And wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The second kind of person that the book of Proverbs talks about is the naive person or the simpleton. This is the person that just is kind of innocent and is always in danger of, of falling. Uh, the scriptures constantly call out to the naive. Please pay attention to what's going on in your life. These are important decisions that you need to make that have big consequences. Then there are the foolish ones. The foolish ones are the ones that just don't care, but they consistently make dumb choices. Those are what the Bible calls fools. And there's a fourth category. They are the mockers or the scoffers. The scoffers and the mockers, the difference between a fool and a mocker is that a mocker knows that they're doing wrong and they don't care. In fact, they relish in it. They say, I'm bad and I don't care. I love it. You know, these are the people that's, that, that scream out, I'm on the highway to hell and that's where I belong and I want to go there. And they say, that's where my friends are going to be. That's what the Bible would call a mocker or a worse than a fool. The only one of the three that have any hope are the ones that are naive. Because those are the ones that hopefully can be corrected and can learn. So today we're going to 
we're going to talk about this this very familiar story. I'm sure that almost every one of you have heard the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, it's probably a discussion that lasted between 15 and 30 minutes between two men. Very brief conversation. It was recorded in all three synoptic gospels. You will find this recorded in the in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. Very they're they're very similar in uh, very slight differences. I had opted to go with Matthew because we just we just talked about the book of Revelation and the kingdom of God, and Matthew focuses on the kingdom of God, and so I wanted to focus on Matthew's account. Because not so much the story in Matthew, but because of the surrounding context in the book of Matthew. I think we're going to find that to be interesting. So the first point I want to make on this story is that from a worldly perspective, this is the meeting of a rich young ruler with the poor itinerant preacher. From a, if you take a, it's so difficult for us who who are believers of Jesus Christ, to try to really picture what this must have looked like to people of that day. So here's this rich young ruler. Everybody knows by the way he's dressed, by the way he carries himself, the way he speaks, that he is educated, he's rich, he's smart, he's everything that the Jewish society aspired to be. And here's Jesus. I mean, okay, he was... He drew crowds because he did miracles, but he was obviously poor. He had one outfit. He had a motley crew of 12 guys who were fishermen, tax collectors. This was just kind of a, uh, it's, this was not, these were not the desirable people that you'd want to invite to a party back in Palestine. Okay? So here's this contrast between from a worldly perspective, not from a spiritual, from a worldly perspective, this rich young ruler meeting a poor itinerant preacher. Spiritually, it couldn't have been more opposite, right? Spiritually, if someone could, could put on spiritual glasses, x-ray eyes, and see what was really going on, what they would see, that this is a meeting of a well-intentioned but lost soul with no less than the king of heaven and earth. I mean, think about how opposite those things are. And yet, you know what? That's what it's like today for us. Because the things in this life seem so real to us and so important and so gripping and so critical. But the Bible says, take a step back and look in light of eternity. The things that you're doing, the things that you're worried about, the things that you are so concerned about today, what are they in light of eternity? And boy, that would really, really change your perspective. You have to realize this rich young ruler is the best of the best of what they could think of in that day. He was, quote, devout. He was honest. He was wealthy, he was prominent, he was influential. You know, there are rich young rulers today. Fortunately, I'm not one of the, one of those people. I'm not rich, I'm not young, and I'm not a ruler. But there are people like that today. We live in Silicon Valley. If you read Fortune magazine as an example, and you read the top 40 most influential entrepreneurs under the age of 40, you realize most of those people live and work right here in Silicon Valley? What the world says is the most influential, the brightest, the smartest, the most capable, these are the people that, these are the people that are living amongst us. So should we aspire to be like them? I think that's what the question is for us today. Who do we aspire to be and what is important? What decisions will we make? So the third point today, good decisions often start with the right question. Are we asking the right question 
So many of us are asking the wrong question. But what is the right question? So here's a man that not only... Here's here's uh, one other point. It's not just asking the right question, but are you asking the right question to the right person? Ever think about that? What happens if you ask the right question to the wrong person? You're not going to get a good answer. So this rich young ruler... He asked the right question to the right person. And someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? So here's a guy respected in the community. He is the paradigm of what people aspire to be. And he's going to this poor itinerant preacher and he's saying, What do I need to do? to obtain eternal life. So what this guy is saying in essence is, I have my life together right now on this earth. I have, I'm rich, I'm young, I got authority, I've got everything that this world has to offer. But I feel like I'm missing something. I have this gnawing sense that something's not quite right. And I don't know what happens after I die. He's asking the right question. You got to give him respect for that. He said, I don't know what happens after I die. Will I have eternal life? Can I know? Maybe Jesus, you know. But for sure, he, he just had this sense that something was missing in his life. Now, Jesus is interesting. He doesn't answer his question. Jesus is good at uh, at doing that sort of thing. So he, Jesus asked him, why are you asking me about what is good? How does that, how does that fit with what he asked? He said, what shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you asking me about what is good? If you think about it, it, it doesn't seem to match what he, his question is. And this is where you should realize there's something, there's a discontinuity here and it's a clue that you got to look into it. Now before I dive into that detail, I want to take a moment and I want to, to note point four on your bulletin. The rich young ruler approached Jesus with apparent humility and sincerity. I think this is an important point. He was sincere. He did his homework, and he came with respect. In fact, if you look at the account in Mark 10, he actually knelt before Jesus, right? He knelt before Jesus, showing ultimate respect. One other point I I want you to see is that he came in broad daylight. What you need to, to contrast uh, the rich young ruler is with Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus? He was a ruler of the Pharisees in the Gospel of John. Do you know when he came to visit Jesus? At night. When it was kind of quiet. When no one would see. But the rich young ruler, he came during the day. And he didn't care what other people thought. He wanted to know the answer to his question. And he referred to him as rabbi or teacher. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he is apparently, of course, we don't have the ability to read people's hearts. Only God does. But from everything I could see in the text, he came with the right attitude, with the right approach. He was humble and he was sincere. So let's go back to the question. Why did Jesus ask the question, why are you asking me about what is good? What I want you to see in the context of scripture is that Jesus is giving him a rebuke. What Jesus is saying by asking him the question, why are you asking me about what is good? He is saying, you can't do anything good. I don't think the rich young ruler understood what Jesus was saying. What he was saying to the rich young ruler is, listen, young man, there is nothing good you can do. 
You referred to, I'm referring to Isaiah 64, right? Isaiah 64, 6 that says that all our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. If you want to try to impress God with your acts of righteousness, forget it. Because you as a sinful human being cannot do anything good in God's eyes. But I don't think he got it. Then Jesus follows up with a very interesting point. He says, there is only one who is good. Of course he knew the answer to that. Who is good? God. But who is he talking to? He's talking to God. Jesus is trying to get him to think. Who is good, young man? Obviously, God is good. But Jesus won't say it. He's saying, basically, trying to get him to figure out, young man, you are talking to God right now. See, you see how you can be sincere, you can be humble, and you can be so blind. It, it is a sobering thought. The fifth point in your, in your handout, eternal life is not a matter of what, it's a matter of who. It's not a matter of what because there's nothing you can do. That's what the scriptures tell us. There's nothing you can do to deserve eternal life. The only thing you can do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have a relationship with the King of heaven and earth and you can know for certain that you will be saved, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Jesus is, he is just systematically, spiritually undressing this this rich young ruler is what I want you to see. Is that he is bearing this man's soul in front of all of us. This poor guy, he's like a lot of us. He's like a lot of people of the world. And you have to realize that don't be so hard on him. Realize that he's just a, a human being, a lost soul. So Jesus puts the rich young ruler to the test. So Jesus does answer his question. He says, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. It's a trick question. So the rich young ruler takes the bait. He says, which ones? So don't just gloss over Jesus' response because it's actually quite significant what he says. So he's playing along with this uh, rich young ruler and he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's half of the Ten Commandments. Uh, he left out some pretty important ones. To think in your head, which ones did Jesus leave out? You know, the first four commandments are about our relationship with God. Jesus didn't mention any of them. Why didn't he mention any of those? Some, I, I see the wheels turning in your head. That's what I want you to do this morning. Think, why did Jesus only talk about the last five that dealt with people? He didn't even mention the topic of the relationship with God. Not even mentioned here. I think what's more revealing is the answer of the, of the rich young ruler. Because what does he say? Oh, no problem. I've kept those since I was a kid. I got those down. Oh, really? Really? You've kept all these commandments since you were a young kid? Oh, yeah. Piece of cake. 
So the rich young ruler's response revealed spiritual pride. This is like of the worst kind. And this is why you need to go back in the Gospel of, of Matthew and read a little more carefully. If you go back to chapter 5 in Matthew, you will see that Jesus said, if you want to please God, it's not about not, and he starts with do not murder. He said, you have heard it said, do not murder. But let me tell you what God's requirement is. God's requirement is if you're ever angry with your brother, you fall short of what God desires for you. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And Jesus said, what? If you so much as look upon a woman and have a lustful thought in your head, you have fallen short of God's righteous requirement. See, this guy was, he was no, he thought he was there. But he, if he had been listening carefully to what Jesus was saying, he would have realized that he was hopelessly lost. And here's the thing. He said, all these I've kept, um, all these I've kept, what am I still lacking? Let me tell you, in terms of the relationship with people, he had it, didn't he? Wasn't he respected? He had the popularity of the people. If you took a vote of the crowd during that day, do you know how many people would have said that he's going to heaven? Probably 100% of the people, including the disciples of Jesus, would have said, yeah, that guy's going to heaven. He goes to the synagogue every Sunday. He gives his uh, his alms and his tithe. He does all these things. If you took a vote of the people, and that's a pet peeve of mine in this country. This country... We like to vote on everything. What is, is this right? Should we do it? Let's vote. Let's do what the people say. How about what God thinks? So in terms of the people, he had the vote of the people. Yeah, this guy's going to heaven. Yeah, I've never seen him commit adultery. I've never seen him murder anyone. I've never seen him steal. Why would he steal? He's rich. Uh, he's never, he doesn't bear false witness. Um, yeah, he honors his mother and father. He does all these things. So from a worldly standpoint, he does everything, but from God's perspective, he's hopelessly lost. This is what we need to see today. So the rich young ruler's response revealed spiritual pride. If you think about it from Jesus' perspective, this is an incredibly arrogant response. Right? Would you dare go to Jesus and say, oh yeah, I've kept all these commandments since I was a kid. Think about that. Does he know who he's talking to? It's like, uh, you know, my kids when they're little. Did you clean up your room? Oh yeah, I did a, did a good job. And then you go and you check. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes for their age, that's appropriate. But compared to God's righteous requirement, we don't, we don't, we fall woefully short. So Jesus follows on. Jesus says, okay, now, now we get to the crux of the matter. He said, if you wish to be complete, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven Come follow me. Now, from a worldly perspective, what does this look like? What does this look like from a worldly perspective? What if I told you, uh, go sell your house, your cars, your bank account, empty it, give it to the poor, and go follow Jesus? How easy would that be for you in this room today? I know for me, I'd want to make sure I heard from God. (laughs) Because it's noteworthy, Jesus didn't ask this of everybody. Okay, 
Jesus did not tell everyone, go sell your possessions and everything and come follow me. In fact, there were people that begged Jesus to come follow him. And do you know what Jesus said? Go home. But there's no church where I live. Go home and tell people what I did for you. The demoniac. The one that was relieved of the demons. Remember? Jesus said, go home and tell them. He said, please, let me follow you. What I want you to see, Jesus has a custom solution for each and every one of us. But for this rich young ruler, he said, if you want to go to heaven, and I know you do, this is the longing in your heart, sell everything, give to the poor, and you will have treasures where? In heaven. Then come follow me. You know what? This is Jesus. King Jesus is making this guy an incredible offer. An unbelievable offer. Jesus did not make this offer necessarily. Actually, he did. Right? He says it to all of us. Give me your pennies and I'll give you eternal riches. I don't care if you have a a trillion dollars in your bank account. In light of eternity, that means nothing. So I want you to see that all heaven is at the edge of their seat. What's this guy going to do? Right? All of heaven is watching what's going on. It's the moment of truth. It's like, okay, we've been talking about all this stuff. What are you going to decide to do? Feel the tension. What will you, what will the rich young ruler do? I'm sure that he was agonizing in his soul. See, I own this property. I'm worth this much. My stocks are doing this. You know, he's probably doing inventory of all he has. But you know what? That's like us, isn't it? We think about what we have to give up and we forget about what Jesus is offering us. Isn't that foolish? Isn't that dumb? You give up what is perishable for that which is imperishable. That's the offer that Jesus is making. And we're busy counting, oh wait, I have to give up five marbles and, you know, it's just ridiculous. It's it's like uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Forget all your stuff. We'll buy new stuff. You know, when you go to heaven, you don't need the stuff down here on this earth. In fact, it's not going to survive the, the burning. <laughs> Get some new clothes that will last forever. You know, it's such a short sentence, but it it's just has powerful emotions. He went away grieving for he owned much property. Wow. The rich young ruler decided that he loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus. That's what it came down to. One thing I want to make clear today, this is not about being rich. This is about the idols of your heart. So don't get confused. This is not about being rich or having a lot of money. It's about having an idol in your heart. For this young man, his idol was money. He loved the feeling that it gave him, the security on this earth. He loved that and it was an idol in his heart. It's not money, but the love of money. In First Timothy 6.10, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Did you know some poor people love money more than rich people? 
Isn't it shocking to hear about people who live in rags and they've socked away hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash because they love money? It's not money. It's the love of money. It's when money becomes an idol in your heart that it becomes a problem. So Jesus says to his disciples, their jaws are like dropped, right, to the ground. Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to explain, it's easier for the ca- a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, I've heard, when I was younger, I heard stories that there's a, there's a place in the wall where there, it's called the eye of the needle baloney. It's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is literally talking about a camel a big, huge beast of burden going through a little eye of a needle. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, this is impossible. And I'm glad he added one more sentence. With people, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Another subtle point I want you to see just before the story of the rich young ruler. You know who's coming to Jesus? Children. The disciples are totally confused now because the disciples are trying to protect Jesus from these little annoying children. Right? They're just loud and obnoxious and I can't... I can't handle them. We gotta protect Jesus from these, these little ones. And what did Jesus say? You morons, get out of the way. <laughs> I wanna, I want the children to come to me. You know what happened when the rich young ruler approached? The Red Sea parted. Okay? So the disciples are like, Look at this guy. He's he's the kind of guy we want on our team. Guys, get out of the way. And Jesus says, sell everything or you can't be on my team. Jesus, don't do that. This guy has resources. He can help us. He can fund like a hotel. We can we can have a place to lay down our heads. Don't you want that? Didn't need that. You guys still don't get it. I have a home in heaven. There's nothing on this earth that can compare to that. So the disciples are just confused. If this guy can't go to heaven, then who can go to heaven? So then you you find G- Peter, right? Peter, I love Peter because he's, he always says what the rest of us are thinking, Right? Peter said, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What about me? (laughs) Okay, I didn't have that much, but I left it all for you. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. See how shocking and scandalous this thing is? We can't see. God has a completely different view of of life. What I want you to see, this was a 15 or 30 minute discussion, but what was at stake? Eternity. You, You poor folks have to sit and listen to me preach for 45 minutes. But you know what? The same thing may be at stake for some of you in this room. There are moments in time when you have to make a decision. And some of you take it for granted 
that you will be able to choose at a time that's convenient for you. But let me tell you, the strong admonition of Scripture is don't play games. If you hear God speaking to you, then you need to act now, not later. I want to summarize some of the observations about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler's response revealed spiritual pride. You know, it's true. The Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is coming out of your mouth in terms of what you believe? What you, what you say and what you do, do they line up? This guy was, was spiritually blind. He didn't understand Jesus, Jesus' rebuke. You know, before you, before you're too hard on him, have you ever read the Bible or heard a sermon and said, I, I know who that verse applies to. I have a friend who needs to hear this message. I have a friend that needs to act on this. Time out. This verse is for you. It's not for some other person. These verses are for you and me. Before we worry about the splinter in that other person's eye, how about the big log in our own eye? So we're all like this, right? We're prone to self-deception, something that we have to constantly be aware of. This rich young ruler had no sense of his own sinfulness and desperate need for God. He didn't understand that hating his enemies and even lustfully looking upon a woman was enough to condemn him to hell forever. He didn't understand that. He didn't understand what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit for what theirs is the kingdom of heaven he was not poor in spirit he was his attitude was god you should be pleased to have me on your team i have a lot of resources to help you and your cause and jesus said i don't need your resources but i want you It's not a matter of what, it's a matter of who. What this guy was lacking was not things to do. He was lacking a personal relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. So what God is offering to us, and even today, is not what you need to do to get eternal life, but how you can have a relationship with him. Isn't that an awesome thing? Isn't that good news? That you, sinful Creature can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and he loves you and he proved it by dying on the cross for you. Another point, Jesus didn't try to win him as a convert. You know, this is an important lesson for us who are so focused on, quote, evangelism. You know, people who are... uh, teaching evangelism today, they'd say, Jesus, you're doing this all wrong. You're offending this guy. you got to be seeker-friendly. you got to make it easy for him. you got to want him to. you got to lure him in and, and, and make him feel good about this. And Jesus says, no. You need to take a sobering look at your life and you have to choose me. And you've got to decide. There's no easy believism. It's all or nothing. Last point I want to make about the rich young ruler. Don't get confused. He wanted eternal life. It's not that he didn't want eternal life. He knew in his soul he needed eternal life. He wanted eternal life. The issue was 
He didn't want it as much as he wanted to keep his possessions. Ouch. Is is there anything you have that you want to hold back from Jesus? I guarantee you, uh, God is tough. What decision is weighing on on your heart today, this morning? I can say with certainty that, and I don't know because I'm only a person, but each of you have things that you're wrestling with today. And they may be totally different things. How is God speaking to you this morning? With loving persistence and surgical precision, God has a way of rooting out the idols of our heart, whatever they may be. You know what's sad is that good things can become idols of your heart. God wants us to have a good relationship with our spouse, but can our spouse become the idol of our heart? Yeah. Does God want us to love our children? Absolutely. We should be willing to die for our children. But can our children become an idol of our heart in front of God? Jesus said, unless you hate your brother and sister and mother and wife and children, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And he's not saying literally hate them. He's saying, compared to your love for me, these other things have to take second place. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus never got a chance to talk to the rich young ruler about this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the greatest and foremost command. That's the priority. Love God and then love people. Not love people first and then you'll love God. You've got to get it in the right order. So the key question, what will you choose to believe and how will you live? So there's four questions I want you to consider. One, what do you cherish and what do you treasure? What is it in your heart that you cherish? What is it that you treasure? Second question, what do you worry about? What is it that has you worried? Then two supplementary thoughts. How do you spend your time? It's, it's, it's amazing. There's two things that you can look at if you want to know someone's spiritual condition. Where do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? Isn't that amazing? I can tell you from from uh, our four plus years at GBF, it's always been true. We can tell someone's spiritual condition by their attendance and by their giving. It's almost it's almost uncanny. And it, you know, usually when people start coming to church, they start coming first, and then after they feel comfortable, they start giving. And then when they're about to leave, usually the giving will stop first. And then the attendance stops. And it's, it's just, it's just amazing how the secular things interconnect with the spiritual. But between how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you worry about, what you cherish is really what it comes down to. So let's see. Let's listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew six nineteen. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves can't break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Very important word order. Where... Your treasure is what? Your heart follows. You think, 
Oh, if my heart's right, the things I desire will follow. Nope. What you treasure, what you value, what you cherish, that's where your heart's going to follow. If you cherish money, then all your thoughts are going to be about money. Your life will go up and down with the stock market. How many know people like that? That's a rough existence. When the market's up, they're happy. When the market's down, they're sad. What you cherish, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Consider this. Money is valuable. Money can buy you a nice bed. It can't buy you sleep. Money can buy you popularity. can't buy you friends. Money can buy you a fancy diamond ring. can't buy you love, despite what the Beatles say. No. Uh, money can buy you an exclusive health club membership and can buy you medicine and the best health care in the world. It can't buy you good health. Money can give you a great vacation. can't buy you peace, though. Money can buy you a beautiful house, but not a loving home. Money can buy you earthly peace. can't buy you eternal life. What are you worried about? In Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word of God, And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Is it possible to hear the truth and then be distracted because too many cares and too many worries? Absolutely. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body, as to what you put on. Is not life more than food and the, and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth a lot more than birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Haven't you observed the lilies of the field and how they grow? They don't toil and they don't spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do it for you? O men of little faith, Do not be anxious then saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly eagerly seek. And your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Do you know your heavenly father knows you need clothes and food? He does. And he's not chintzy. And he's not tight. And he's not stingy. He's generous. Here's the key. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what? then all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? Yeah. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, eternal life is not about what to do, but it's about who. And in Acts chapter 4, 10 says, Eternal life can only be found through Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way to heaven according to the scriptures and it's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the good news is that's available to you today, right now, this very moment. But you've got to count the cost because in Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. I tell you, I will never pray that I get what I deserve. You'll never hear me pray that prayer. I want what God has for me through his grace. I think the most chilling words in all the scriptures is not about hell. It's not about all these other things that you might be thinking. There is some scary stuff in the book of Revelation. The the most chilling words in the scriptures is found in Matthew 7, where Jesus says to all these people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you? And I saved people for you. And I did a fundraiser for the church. And we did all these things. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That That's the scariest thing that you could ever hope to hear. Is that you got that wrong. Is it possible to know about Jesus and not have a personal relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. How many of you know Elvis Presley? Does he know you? We have someone far greater than Elvis Presley. So, what happened to the rich young ruler? Do you guys, do you want to know what happened to the rich young ruler? What happened to him? I'll give you a clue. This story is found in how many Gospels? Three. What is his name? What's his name? His name's not written in the book of life. Isn't that tragic? Isn't that tragic? He went face to face with the creator of heaven and earth. Face to face. And he got a personal invitation. You know what Jesus said? Blessed are you because you've seen, but even more blessings for those who have not seen and yet believe. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Jesus is making an incredible offer. And that offer stands today. For those of us who are still breathing, if you still have breath, you still have opportunity. For those of you that believe, put down that thing that you're worried about, that you're stressed about, the thing that you treasure, let it go. And if you're not a believer, what are you holding on to or what are you waiting for? Give away your filthy rags. Take that which is eternal. Jim Elliot, he was a missionary to the uh, to this uh, indigenous tribe in, in Ecuador. And he would be martyred for his faith. And he would say, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he can never lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words. Your words are life and they are truth and they expose our hearts and make us naked before you. Lord, none of us can stand before you with our head held up high. All of us will have to come kneeling before you. 
Father, all of us want eternal life. I don't think there's a single person in this room that doesn't want eternal life. But some of us have to let go of something that we treasure or something that we worry about. How foolish of us to try to hold on to those things. Lord, I believe you're talking to people even now. And I pray that you'd help people to come to their senses and to turn to you. Thank you for your goodness and for your grace and your ever-present mercy and your ubiquitous love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.